We have an outline that's available for you. You're going to find a whole lot more beneficial as we go through God's Word this morning and use this to guide us in our thoughts and our considerations. We use the Word of God as our primary source of information. The Word of God is infallible. It is inerrant. It is inspired by God. It is written. It is true. It is trustworthy. And uh, everything that God says in here is designed to be a practical book to guide us, to instruct us, to help us to be people of righteousness. And so we want to use God's Word to guide us together. And the theme of this current series is doing life better together. We are better together as we do it in community and in unity with one another. And that's one of the major themes that you find in the book of Ephesians to help us to become part of the community of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 3, 1 through 13. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to open in Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. If you do not have a Bible, there's a Bible in the chair rack in front of you, and uh, you're welcome to keep that Bible if you would like to and use that. In the New Testament, the latter part of the book, uh, in the backside in Ephesians, we find Ephesians chapter 3 as we're almost halfway through the book of Ephesians as we learn how to live life better together. Ephesians 3, 1 says this, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus... For the sake of you Gentiles, and that's the key, for the sake of you Gentiles, Jews and Gentiles becoming better together in unity. He says, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that I by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before there in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places." This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through him, through faith in him. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart of my tribulations on your behalf, for they are for your glory. It's a wonderful text, and uh, the theme of this morning and the emphasis is why we live. Uh, If you know the name Viktor Frankl, you know that he is a Christian psychiatrist that uh, lived during the years of Nazi reign and rule. And he was taken from his home. He was stripped of everything that he had, his clothes, his money. And he was cast into one of those death camps that they had for the Jewish people during World War II. And in that death camp, he was just at this uh, desperate strait, and he had nothing except for the coat that they gave him that was a coat of a Jew that had already been gassed in the chambers. So as he took that garment and that coat and he wrapped himself up, but he stuck his hand in one of the pockets. And in the pocket, he found this little saying that is in the Old, in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy. 
Hear, O Israel, I am the Lord your God. You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your might. And when he read that, he said, it began to give me some focus on life. I began to have a sense that there is something more important than myself, that there is a power that is greater than me. And he discovered, as this, uh, this uh, Jewish psychiatrist discovered, that he said, I can go through almost anything that this world may bring to me. And this is the quote, this is the famous quote that comes from Viktor Frankl. Because he who has a why to live can bear almost any how to live. He who has a why to live can bear almost anything in terms of the how you have to live. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. All of us are going through a variety of things. But once you begin to understand the why, the how becomes a little bit easier. It doesn't take away all the problems, but it helps. And that's where we come to the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul in today's passage, and the key that I want us to have a take home on, is why we live. Why why does God do what he does, and how does that help me in life? Here's the first thing you notice on the outline. We live to receive the grace of God. In this very first phrase, easy to pass over in Ephesians 3, 1, it says this, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, and indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you. And I'd just like to take that very first little phrase in this, so we can live to overcome our circumstances. I, I love the way Paul presents this. Paul says at the beginning of chapter 3, Paul the prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, you may or may not know this, but the book of Ephesians was written when Paul was in prison. There are so-called prison epistles, four books that were written by the Apostle Paul when he was in prison. He wasn't in prison because he killed someone. He wasn't in prison because he stole something. He was in prison simply because he was a follower of Jesus Christ. And people in communities where he would share the gospel were getting tired of hearing about Jesus is the Messiah. And so they have trumped up charges, and the Roman rulers are holding Paul prisoner. He's appealed to Caesar. He'd like to express his rights. But notice how Paul describes himself. He says, yes, I am a prisoner. He is in a prison cell as he writes the letter to the Ephesians. But he says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I'm not a prisoner of Caesar. I'm not a prisoner of Rome. I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And there's something that's going on in Paul's mind that he says that I'm here as part of something much larger than myself. He never once in the book of Ephesians says, pray for me that I get released from prison. In fact, in Ephesians 6, as you see as we get to it, he says, in point of fact, Pray, don't pray that I get out of prison. Pray that I have boldness in prison. One of the other prison epistles, so-called, is the book of Philippians. And Philippians says, in fact, because I'm in prison, the gospel is advancing at a higher rate than I would have otherwise. He says prison is actually, in essence, essence, it's a good thing because I am witnessing to the praetorium guard that's holding me, and I wouldn't have had a chance to do that had I not understood that I'm a prisoner of Jesus, not a prisoner of Rome. And the key, I think, that the, the driving home this point is 
is that no matter what we're going through, no matter what our circumstances may be, no matter what our hardships are that we have to endure, that when I go through that and I have a broader perspective as to what God is doing, that I'm here with a greater why and I'm not so burdened with the how I'm going to get through it. So Paul's why is that he is a steward of God's grace and he's going to manage that well. First Peter 4 says it this way about that grace. As each one has received a special gift, and I put there the Greek word charisma, it comes out of this word charisma. We use that word charismatic. Uh, the word charisma or charis, it's grace. It means grace. I have received a special grace in my life, Peter writes. So I should employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We're all stewards of something. The word steward means to manage a household. So I'm going to manage this grace. So whoever speaks is to do so as one speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving the strength which God supplies. So that in all things God may be glorified through Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And the the, the sooner that you and I, and I battle for this, the sooner that you and I get the why, that God's given me grace, that even in a prison cell, I'm going to manage that grace and expand it to the people that are around me. Because Paul goes on from there and says, not only was I given that grace, I'm not a prisoner of Rome, I'm a prisoner of Jesus, but now it's been given to me so I can give it to you. As Paul says in then in the last part of that verse, grace which was given to me for you. When I see that what I go through is not about me, but it is for you, it begins to change my perspective, and I've got a greater capacity to finish well. I was intrigued as I read this last week of a number of evangelical churches that are in Paris. I didn't know there were any evangelical churches in Paris, but I'm thankful that there are. And there was a number of them that wrote in this blog that I was reading this last week. And all this catastrophic, horrid circumstances that ISIS has brought into these uh, citizens there in Rome, it has really ignited a lot of these evangelical churches, probably in much the same way after 9-11. We actually had people coming to our church simply to pray. And not a lot of people just want to come to church simply to pray, but after 9-11... There was something that was going on in people's hearts that they felt they needed to gather. Here's what one of the pastors of one of those evangelical churches wrote. It's a little bit long, two slides, two paragraphs. Read with me. The City of Lights, as he's recurring, uh, referring to his city of Paris, has been a spiritual desert for centuries. But God's power is undeniable and unmistakable. Several new evangelical churches are being planted each year. Denominations are working together to reach the city in ways they would never have imagined 20 years ago. And people are turning to Christ, not in droves, but in a steady and growing trickle. Compared to 10 years ago, we're seeing more conversions and more boldness on the part of the French Christians. May people continue to be, many people continue to be disillusioned by the I should be, many people continue to be, I'm going to have to speak to my editor. 
that would be, that would be me. So. Uh, many people continue to be disillusioned by the false answers offered by the dominant secular thought and find hope in the gospel. Many French people have never truly heard the gospel of the cross and the risen Christ. Can you imagine that? Many French people have never heard about Jesus and his resurrection. Quite often, their only references are a few Catholic traditions as well as platitudes about loving one another. May they come to know the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. He summarizes it, but there was probably a half a dozen evangelical pastors that are saying, this has given our church momentum to move into the community, to become the presence of Christ, to spread the gospel, and to be grace. That's what Paul's talking about. The why. When catastrophic things, circumstances against my will occur, I need to begin to see the why behind it, and that as I am a steward of grace, and that I'm to spread that grace so that others may experience the grace that I have. And God uses the prison cell of Paul to expand it to the prison guards of his prison cell. God uses whatever we're going through. And frankly, the more we grasp it that it's all about going through me to those people, the more I'm going to have a why that's going to carry me beyond defeat. Secondly, not only does he have this understanding of God's grace that is helping him give a why, but you pursue the results of this grace. What happens when this grace begins to take its fullness in my life? It happens in marriages. It should happen in friendships. It should happen in partnerships, in churches, in school, in neighborhoods. To be specific, Paul says in verse 6, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Jesus, in Christ Jesus through the gospel. What does God want? He wants us to do life better together. There's these three phrases. He says, you are fellow heirs. That is that we all share a future inheritance in Christ. Did you realize the people you're sitting next to who are believers in Jesus are going to be in heaven with you forever? Do you ever think about that? And so you know what? We should talk to one another as if I'm going to inherit the same thing you're going to inherit. You're not getting a big, bigger piece of heaven than I am. We're all getting a piece of heaven. And God's inheritance is mine. It is yours. And when we come to church like this, we gather together with others who share a fellow inheritance. Uh, there's nobody left out of the will of God if you're a follower of Jesus. And so therefore... When we gather, we gather as fellow inheritors of the greatest inheritance that anybody could ever receive. Not only that, but we're fellow members. We are equal partners in Christ. It doesn't matter what your income is. It doesn't matter what your physical strength is. It doesn't matter what the size of your house or the expense of your car. It doesn't matter what you wear. It doesn't matter what your skin color is. It doesn't matter whether you have lots of hair or you look like me. It just doesn't matter. <laughs> At least we try to convince ourselves. It just doesn't matter. But the reason it doesn't matter is because no, no, no matter what of all those things that we often kind of score one another on, God says, you're a fellow equal partner in Christ. You are one. You are equal. You are not better than. You are not less than. But you are equal. 
And the more we get that concept that better together means fellow inheritors and fellow members, the stronger will be the bond of a relationship in a marriage, in a friendship, in a partnership, in a business, in a school, in a classroom, in a community group that you're part of. That's what God says. And then finally, not only are you are fellow heirs, your fellow members, but your fellow partakers. We share the same benefits in Christ. We're all equal in that. You need forgiveness, God will give it to you as much as he give it to the next person. God would easily have forgiven Hitler as he would Billy Graham if they both come through Jesus Christ. We're fellow partakers of the same benefits in Christ. And that's why we keep preaching here. We keep pounding home. And that's why I wandered, I wandered the aisle last week and irritated people in the back. <laughs> if you weren't here, you should have been here. They probably haven't come back. The, 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 because I want us to see that we are better together in that we are fellow heirs, fellow members, fellow partakers. And it begins to shape how we see things. It it gives us more meaningful relationships with difficult people. I'm not saying the people you're sitting with are difficult people. But, but how many have difficult people that are sitting right next to you? Jim? Let's have a prayer meeting for Jim right after church here. But we all have folks that we want to have more meaningful relationships with. I want to take you back last Sunday. Last Sunday I shared with you the story of Jean Bishop, and I'm so impressed by her that she's written this fairly new book where she has learned to forgive the man that murdered her sister who was pregnant and her sister's husband, her brother-in-law. Just astounding that it's taken her 23 years to go visit him in prison and build a relationship. Remember, she visited him 15 times. I want to take you back to the one quote she said that goes to this point that we can pursue more meaningful relationships with difficult people when I begin to see what the grace of God can do in people's lives. This is what she said, and this is what I quoted last week. I felt my heart hard and rigid cracking open as she visited him 15 times. I had always made a divide between Nancy's killer and me. Him, bad murderer... So we like to classify people, oh, you're much worse than I am, but me, innocent victim's family member. The truth was there was no division between us before God. We're both flawed and fallen. Wouldn't it be amazing, O'Brien, one of the men that convicted her to go visit him? Wouldn't it be amazing, O'Brien told her, if God used you to bring this man into the relationship, if he joined you in heaven one day. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be amazing if he became a fellow heir, a fellow member, a fellow partaker of Jesus? We need to look at everybody that we are going to be with this weekend. And frankly, a lot of us are going to be with family that we wouldn't hang out with except that we married into. Am I just speaking truth or am I the only one who's being obnoxious here? All of us are going to be together with folks, and some of them need Jesus Christ. And we may look at them as some sort of a ne'er-do-well sinner that, oh, you know, can't help. No, we look at them as one who potentially can join with us to be a fellow heir, a fellow member, and a fellow partaker of Jesus Christ. Like Jean Bishop to David Biro, who killed her sister. 
you look at them with the potential that someday we could be together in heaven. And the more we grasp the concept of the why, that's why I'm here. So I make that known to them, the better my life will become. So I simply ask the question, as the Jew and the Gentile are trying to merge together in this little church in Ephesus, and that was a very hard thing to do because Jews wouldn't have anything to do with Gentiles. They considered them to be filthy dogs. I would never eat with them. I would never have any association with them. And the Gentiles would look at these Jews, these arrogant people that I would not have. Religious. I, Paul says, no, now you are one body in Jesus. Never before has this message been made known, but now you are becoming a one body group of believers. That's the new information that's coming out. We live to share this message of this grace. We live, we live not to have it here and come and worship and sing beautiful songs and have beautiful music and see people around. We live to share this message. That's where Paul then goes. It's not always easy. I want to show you another little quote that comes out of Paris. One of the evangelical pastors wrote this that I referenced earlier. Here's the outreach response by some in Paris. This is why it's hard. He says, our main request would be this. That is, our main prayer request would be this. That this event might cause the gospel to move forward in this very secular city. After the attacks, hashtag pray for Paris, started sweeping the internet, a huge number of Parisians responded by saying, and this should grieve our hearts, thank you for all the sentiment, but we don't need more prayers. We've got enough religion already. Please pray that God might use this event to sovereignly soften rather than harden them to the truth of the gospel. We're dealing with folks who think like that. America is secularized, there is no hunger and thirst for righteousness for the most part, but we are to be this demonstration of the grace of God that invites them into a community of believers who actually love each other, care for each other, who are fellow heirs, fellow members, fellow partakers, that says, I want to be part of something like that that has more meaning and value in life than me living all by myself in my own little secular-mindedness. And so it begins to soften those hearts. Like Jean Bishop's heart is softened to this man that she gets to know who had killed her sister. God begins to soften the hearts of those who need Christ and soften our own hearts as we extend that grace to them. We share that grace. We share it in his power. This is what Paul goes on to say. And then just sort of breaking down the text. Here's one of the phrases of the text in Ephesians 3. Of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. So God says to all of us, we're, we're part of this ministry of the working of his power to make this grace known. It's not what we do. It's not if I'm clever enough, I'm smart enough, I can answer every question. I can be the C.S. Lewis of, of apologetics and explain it all really well. It's simply having a heart that says, God, I'm here available. I don't have all the answers. I'm not the smartest person in the room. But your power is greater than anything that I'm going to deal with. So your power through me to extend that grace to them, even if they say, I don't need any more prayer. I've got enough religion. I don't need any more of that. That's a false understanding of who we are when they say things like that. So we do it in his power. We share it even if we feel unqualified. Notice what Paul says. To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given, to preach to the Gentiles. 
Paul, Paul never saw himself as somebody special. He always put himself down. 1 Corinthians 15, I was the least of all the apostles. I was like someone who was aborted but lived. He's, that's how Paul describes himself. It's pretty crass, but that's what he sees himself as. So it's hopeful for people like me that I don't have to be the most talented, the most brilliant, the most funny, the most engaging person in the world. All I simply have to recognize the power of God goes through me as the least of all the saints because God says, I don't want to share the glory. And so count yourself blessed if you think to yourself, I don't have all the answers. I don't know the Word of God. I'm not very brilliant in that area. I couldn't answer the questions that they might ask of me. That's okay. Just live out the grace of God, and when the door opens up, you say, here's what Jesus means to me. Here's what Jesus has done for me. Here's how Christ has touched my life. And we invite them into the grace that we have experienced because all of us are the least of all the saints. That's how we, in humility, we should see ourselves. And we share the truth of the unfathomable riches of Christ. We share what he's done for me. He says, I share of the unfathomable. It's unfathomable. It goes beyond anything I ever thought I could deserve. If you knew all the sins that I had committed, the violations of my life, the wounds that I have uh, even thrust on my kids, and the violations of my marriage and my business and my ethics and my integrity. We, we can go on and on about all the things that either in thought or indeed we have been participating in, but it's the unfathomable riches of Christ that's changed me, forgiven me. One of the great examples of that is Jacob de Shazer. How many, how many know that name? Oh, just a few of you. Okay, this guy is amazing. This guy was, uh, in 1942, flying a mission in World War II over Japan and is bombing some of the cities of Japan. This is before, obviously, Hiroshima and those. And as a result of doing that, they uh, had to land in Japan. He was taken prisoner. He was held prisoner for two years. And in that prison cell, the Japanese guards would beat him, much like when the book Unbroken, if you've read that. It's a similar story to that. In fact, one of the guards, he had his foot in the door, he said, and one of the guards just took his boot and began to pummel his own foot that had been stuck in the door. And he became enraged at that guy. Well, in the course of staying there, some of the rulers of Japan realized that some of the men are dying from hunger and starvation. So they began to a little, little more food And they gave him one book. And so they gave him a Bible. All these prisoners, I think like 200 prisoners, and there was one Bible. And Jacob says it took six months for that Bible to go through man to man to man until I finally got the Bible in my hands. So six months. And he began to read the Bible. And one of the passages that stuck out in his mind is Romans 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. When he read that, he believed it, he confessed it, he became born again in that prison cell. And so when that guard came back to pummel his foot, he says, God, I know what your word says. I shouldn't rage at him. I should love him. And so multiple times that guard kept on coming back and Jacob kept on smiling at the guy. And the guard was just confused. And so finally after smiling and loving and greeting him kindly in Japanese, 
the guard finally says, what in the world is going on with you? And the guard began to bring him extra food items, extra treats, figs, things like that. Well, Jacob was finally released in 1945 after the war was over, came home, and continued he and his wife to be followers of Jesus. And in 1948, they went back to Japan as missionaries. And as he went back, they began, somebody wrote up his story of Jacob de Chazer. Forgive your sinners. And there was a pamphlet that was written up of his story. And that began to be distributed throughout Japan. Well, one of the men that picked up that pamphlet that told the story of his conversion was a fellow by the name of Mitsuo Fuchida. Anybody recognize that name, Mitsuo Fuchida? He's the guy that led the 300. 360 airplanes that bombed Pearl Harbor. So Mitsuo reads the story of Jacob and he gets a hold of the Bible. He reads it. Mitsuo gets saved. And in 1948, Mitsuo, Fushida, and Jacob de Shejar get together and they share the Bible together. And in 1950, Mitsuo Fuchida becomes a missionary to his own people in Japan, shares the gospel of Christ, even as Jacob would go back and share the gospel with he and his wife as they would share the gospel. And it was a beautiful story of God's grace. That's an extraordinary story. But I don't want it to be, I don't want it to limit us that when we have the grace of God, You never know who it's going to impact. Even a guy that bombed Pearl Harbor can be saved. Even the people who live next door to you can be saved. Because God says, I want you to realize that we have a purpose that goes beyond God's grace. I want you to see beyond yourselves. I'm going to show you a little video clip real quick here. And when I I show you this, my question is this. What's wrong with this video? Let's take a look. And the place is so busy already. Excellent student. Now, what direction the Grand Canyon is, I'm not sure. I think it's that way. That's the view looking down. See? And that's, there's the Trump Tower, same colour as his hair. And now that view is looking north. And that's up into the desert, up into Utah and Arizona, I think. And there's facing west, and that's the setting sun, and there's the Wyndham over there, see that smaller one? And we're going to take it with us later on. So, there we are. This is the strip that, I think this is a microphone. All right. What's wrong with that video? He's got a GoPro. It's his son's GoPro. He's got it on a stick. And what he didn't realize is that he has it facing the wrong way. So he spends his vacation in Las Vegas. He's from Australia. And all of his vacation videos are of himself. 
He didn't know that he wasn't looking at all the things around him. All he knew, what he didn't know is he's only looking at himself. And I, I only show that because I want to make a point. That off too often I'm kind of like this guy with the GoPro that's always looking at me. And God says, you know what, Dave? It's not all about you. Get it off yourself and get it on everything else because I'm doing something. And I want you to see out there, not here. We become consumed with me, and that's not what God has in store for us. Here's the passage, Ephesians 3.10. So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, this in accordance with the eternal purposes which carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in Him. Therefore I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are for your glory. What Paul is saying here in this passage is backing up in 3.10. The manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church to where? Where does God want this manifold wisdom of God to be made known? to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Do you realize that you and I are being watched by angels right now? How you and I live out our lives, how I live out my life, what I'm thinking, what my motives are, what's behind everything that I do, that's all going to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. And God says, don't get your eyes on yourself, get your eyes on what I see. And I've got heavenly powers, both evil angels and righteous angels. They are watching us. Whether we believe that or not doesn't negate the truth of that fact, that God has an heavenly beings, rulers, angels and demons, who are watching everything that God is trying to do through the church and our church is a demonstration to those rulers that our God is great. And that's why get the GoPro off yourself and begin to see what God wants to see in our lives, those things that surround us. Because God is in the process. It says in First Peter, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things in which angels long to look. They're looking at us. And the more we obey God, the more we demonstrate His grace, the more we share the gospel of Jesus, the more they glorify the Father in heaven. 1 Timothy 5.21, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus and His chosen angels. I charge you in the presence of His chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. Hebrews 12, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, not on ourselves. Don't take the GoPro on yourself. Put it on Jesus and the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, has set down the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, that you will not grow weary and lose heart. That's what Paul says at the very Lord, verse 13. I don't want you to grow weary and lose heart. You don't lose heart when you understand this grace that was given to me is to share with those around so the heavenly rulers of the heavenly places can glorify the greatness of our God. We're doing something beyond ourselves that is unbelievable.
that if we could see the heavenly rulers and what they're doing and what they're watching and how you and I worship, how you and I relate in our marriages, how you and I carry out the grace of God, that the heavenly rulers are watching and it determines their view of God. That's powerful. Through the church, he wants that. So the church can make known how great God is to the rulers of heavenly places. So we live a bold and confident life so we don't lose heart in tribulations. God wants us to do that. Here's a question. One of the things that are challenging for some of us is to recognize the reality of what it means to live life better together where the grace of God comes and touches our lives and changes us, transforms us, so the heavenly rulers and the heavenly places are able to be glorifying the greatness of God. And so I have this question on the screen. What are some of the challenges you face in sharing the grace of Christ? As you think about that, what are some of the challenges you face in sharing the grace of Christ? Because a lot of us are kind of private. We don't want people to think we're, you know, infringing on their spirituality and and so we sort of hold that close, and yet when you take a pe- person like Jacob de Shejar, who shares the gospel of grace in his life, and it saves the leader of the Pearl Harbor bombing, that's amazing grace. So I want that grace to be known to people. What is the unfathomable riches of Christ in me, and what holds me back from making it known to them? So I'm going to invite you, even as I come out here like this, because I like coming out here, I kind of like getting used to this. I wouldn't mind preaching the whole message out here so I can come up to people like Jim who's sitting next to his difficult wife here. (laughs) He raised his hand when he... I'm kidding. They're kidders. You're kidders, right? All right, thank you. He's just being nice. Listen, would you turn to a neighbor? If you need to get up out of your seat because you got five seats between you and your neighbor, get up out of your seat because it's better together, right? It's better together. And would you just discuss what are some of the challenges you face in making the grace of Christ known to those around? We'll take about three minutes and we'll be done.
Okay, we've got 18 seconds. Okay, let's refocus for just a moment. Thank you for your discussion and Yes, I know. That's okay. We're glad that you're uh, able to have a little conversation and hopefully you share names, get to know each other a little bit better because we really do believe that life is better together and we don't want anybody to be isolated or alienated. We love to do community together. I'd like to uh, wrap up this time with a, a little quote. I was reading this morning in my daily devotions about a football player. And his name is Shad Hennings. Shad Hennings. He's a fighter pilot in the Persian War, played for the Super Bowl Dallas Cowboys, kind of a big deal in those two arenas, military and NFL. And just this morning, there was an article in the news about Chad Hennings, of all things. I was so intrigued as he was talking about his faith. And here's what he said, and this challenges me. This year, my youngest left for college, and now they're both on to their next phase of their lives. It's been an adjustment for a family, but I'm so thankful that my kids got it. He's talking about his faith. I'm thankful for all the guidance, the discipline, and the praise we gave them as parents has taken root in their lives, and they own who they are. They have a strong identity as who they are as Christians, as Americans, as young adults. They have found that transformational moment in their lives where they are defining the why they do what they do, and as a parent, that has been the greatest joy. His kids have gotten the why. What is that? Christ in me, the grace spread through others. He makes the difference in my life because the heavenly rulers are watching. And I want to bring glory to God, to the heavenly authorities and the earthly friends to see the grace of Christ in me. The why do we live? Whether in a prison cell or in complete freedom, and even luxury. All of those things are simply an arena for me to spread the grace of Christ to others. Let us be those people as we worship together. Let me pray. Father God, thank you that you would help us to become the people who help to see the why as to why we live, and that we are stewards of your grace. As Paul says, even in a prison cell, He's a prisoner of Jesus, not of Rome, so that he can make that grace known to the guards that surround him, to the Gentiles that had hated him, to every believer that now follows him. I pray, God, that we would be good stewards of that same grace, that we would make it known to those around us, especially this week as we have a heart of thanksgiving. I pray to you that God, Christ, we would be the centerpiece of that table conversation as we eat our turkey. Lord, help us to be on display of your grace to others. We commit it all to you, and this offering we commit to you as well. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.
as you give this morning.